Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Mike Kegley of Bold Homes. Yes, you get sir. that right? That's close. Good. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Before we get started, let me tell our listeners what's going to be coming up uh, next week over and over the next, next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to have John Uber of John Uber, Uber Homes, and we're going to have Chris Finney of Finney, Signero, Saba, and Patterson. Then we're going to have Dave Authority from Education at Work. Dave is the ex-CEO of Convergis, and his company is a nonprofit. It is onshoring, that's right, onshoring customer service jobs. He is hiring college students at reasonable wages to compete with places like India, the Philippines, and other third world countries. So we'll have people who speak English and understand English. After him, we're going to have Mark Schmidt, who I'm going to call a serial entrepreneur. He's got an extremely successful company here in Cincinnati called Blue Chip Asphalt, or Blue Chip Paving. And he started a new company called Atlas 10, which does asphalt parking lot maintenance programs for companies all over the country. During tax season, we're going to have Al Perlman from... Smith Perlman, CPAs. He's going to give us a few tax tips about a month before tax day on the 15th. Our 100th show will be with Thane Maynard of the Cincinnati Zoo. And we'll talk about the Cincinnati Zoo and all that's doing, all the wonderful new things. Hopefully he won't bring any snakes or alligators along with him. The following week, last week in in March, we're going to have Mike Kelly, who is a a leader in a large nationwide publicly held company, and he's going to be talking about his personal leadership leadership journey. should be a really interesting show. I've, I've heard Mike tell the story several times, and I asked him to, to tell the story publicly on the show, and uh, I think that would make a great show. Let me tell our listeners a little today a little bit more about Mike Kegley. Mike is a co-owner or partner at uh, the Bold Company, and Mike, you, you described Bold with periods between the letters. It bold means builders of lifelong dreams. Builders of lifelong dreams. That's that's a great emotional tie. You can come up with some good ideas after about six beers and two o'clock in the morning. Is that how that one that's happened? That's how that one happened, yeah. Yeah. You know, I personally had my built my house built by Zaring about twenty years ago and after going through the experience that I did with Zaring on building a home, I said to my wife, I never want to do that again. All you need is time to try it again, and things have changed a lot. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I hope so. It was it was a most unpleasant experience. Sorry to hear that. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have the videos to prove it. Um, Mike uh, is a graduate of the Breckenridge School and Kentucky University. Breckenridge University. What what is that? It's a laboratory school at Morehead State University. It was a, a first grade through twelfth grade and. They used us as guinea pigs there at the university in, the, in during the 60s and early 70s. Okay. And you have a, a master's in economics. Yes, sir. Which only leads me to the strange question of how does a guy with a master's in economics wind up as a home builder? Well, it's, it's kind of a long story. Um, let me tell you a little bit about our company first, and then I'll help segue into how we started. Uh, we're a family company. It's my wife and my two brother-in-law started the business back in 1987, and uh, my partners and, and my wife grew up in the building business. Their dad was in business with his father-in-law. And so his number one rule was you don't come into our business unless you've gone to college and you've worked 10 years somewhere else. Well, by the time his sons and his daughter went through college and 10 years of working on their own, uh, my father-in-law wasn't with, his, with the family company anymore. And so rather than join that company, which is full of uncles and cousins, we just thought, let's start our own. And it's with that we started uh, designing homes and building them all over northern Kentucky. Mm. That's, a, that's a good story. Um, you're the immediate past president of the Kentucky Home Builders Association? Yes, sir. Uh, we represent 6,000 builders all across the state of Kentucky, uh, and we're actually the seventh largest state home builders association in the entire country with our 6,000 members. We provide support to our members with uh, business consulting, insurance services, and, of course, lobbying efforts on both the local, state, and national level. So are you currently on the board of the National Home Builders Association? Yes, sir. I'm a life director there, so they're they're stuck with me for a long, long time. And uh, be a life director, you have to be an appointed director by your uh, local association for 10 years. And then once you've accomplished that, you can be a life director. Mm. How many life directors are there on that board? Uh, there's about uh, probably about 525. There's not very many of us under 60 years old, though. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a few guys with gray hair. Quite a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you had a... A rule in the company that you had to have 10 years' experience outside the company before you can come in. That's correct. I've yeah. heard that kind of rule before. It's probably a pretty good rule. Well, you know, the the issue came up, though, with uh, my son, who was the oldest of the, of the grandchildren. Once he finished up his college career, he had done some co-ops elsewhere but not worked full-time for anybody outside of uh, college. And my partners came to me and said, hey, uh, your son's a remarkable young man. He's well-experienced, can make a, and be an asset to our company. We'd like to break the rule to allow him to come in. And that happened about eight years ago, and it really pleased my wife and I that he chose to uh, join the company and has proven to be a, a big asset and has actually uh, bought, it, bought into the company where he's a full one-fourth owner with the rest of the families. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, your responsibilities in the company include sales and marketing? Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's right. Uh, you specialize in giving personalized customer service and selecting, and creating plans for their their whole uh, choice while remaining in the budget. 
Uh, you also assist in lot selection and mortgage approval process? Yes, sir. We're, we're really not a home building company. We're a home building service. And that we are totally a design build company. What that means is we're not limited to any set plan. So uh, some of our customers come to us, they already have a plan or an idea of what they want. Others really have no idea. They don't know what their budget is. They don't know what sort of home they're looking for. So it's our job to help them, first of all, discover what budget they're comfortable with, and secondly, the style of home that meets their lifestyle and will meet that budget and still uh, meet all their family needs. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, are people building homes for their with their later years in mind today? Uh, we have quite a few of uh, what we call empty nesters, and one of our specialties is barrier-free or universal design as well. And universal design is a way to design and build a home so that it will be accessible to you in later years, but yet doesn't look like it's uh, handicap-equipped. You know, things are hidden. They're a little more subtle than they might have been in the past. So this way, we, you know, our customers can build their home, live in it till their later years, and still have accessibility to the entire place. So are you building things like elevators into the plants? Most of us old-timers like everything on one floor, so you don't do a lot of elevators. Now, we have a, a niche market as well, though, where we build for young families that may have need a handicap-accessible home, either for a child or an adult that may be staying there. And in that case, we'll do a lot of elevators and do multiple floors. And uh, But we also, though, when you have an elevator and you have somebody that cannot use the steps, we do a whole house generator, so if the power happens to be out, then the elevator still operates, and they can uh, move to the basement and safety in case, for safety in case there's a tornado warning or something like that. Well, that's a good feature to build into a, into a new home. Well, there's a certain sense of superiority. When you're sitting looking at your family room, your lights are on, and the rest of the neighborhood is all dark. Uh makes you feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Do you have one in your home? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to convince my wife to put one in. And uh, gee, a couple of years ago, I was almost ready to hit the button. And then the guy I was talking to was trying to sell it to me. said I couldn't put the generator where I wanted to put it, which was underneath the, the back uh, deck. Well, the generator generally needs to get a lot of air around it to keep the operations cool. Well, the three sides are open. Well, secondly, depending on uh, you don't want to have any fumes any way to get in the house either. That's uh, primarily one of the biggest problems you have with the little portable generators. People try to run them in the garage or in the basement and then well, you know, carbon dioxide poisoning. Yeah, that was, those are bad ideas. Yes. And you have to stay away from windows and open doors and that sort of thing as well. Intakes for the furnace. Yeah, well, I guess putting it in on a pad that uh, that's wired and you're going to use natural gas to, to run the thing at the time of original construction is a much better idea. You can still retrofit and run off natural gas, um, assuming you have it available there at the home. And there's really two different uh, ways of thinking about uh, generators. Number one is one to do the entire house. But quite often uh, what most people do is like an 8-kilowatt generator that just runs certain, certain circuits in the house so that you have a couple of windows, the furnace works, the refrigerator, freezer still works, those kind of things. Those are a lot less expensive to operate, less expensive to install, and still gives you a little bit of light and comfort when the uh, power might be off. Mm. I guess I think of it and say, you know, 
It's got to have the heating, the air conditioning, and the refrigerator, and the lights. Well, if you're going to run a, a, an air conditioner in particular, then just about needs to be like an 18 or 20 kilowatt unit. That's a big, big unit to do the whole house. Mm. Yeah, because you can lose electricity in the summer as well as the winter. Well, you know, when we were both smaller, though, Mom and Dad probably just had a fan in the wind, and we got by like that for a lot of years. Uh, well, maybe you and me did. <laughs> but, you know, our blood thickens up, you know. That's right. Especially in these climates. And uh, Mike has agreed to uh, take calls from the listeners. The uh, telephone number for callers is 646 595 Four nine one six. You call in. We're going to take your calls during the commercial breaks, and then we'll integrate your call into the uh, radio show. Let me ask you uh, one question before we uh, take a commercial break, Mike. Your company was was formed how many years ago now? Uh, the um, 1986 would be. T- what is that? <laughs> Twenty. Twenty-five years. Yeah. Twenty-six years ago. Uh, what was the major reason that, that caused you and your partners to form the company 26, 27 years ago? Well, I think we uh, we all grew up in families that were in business for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something we all wanted to do as well. I was already doing that, but my partners, uh, Paul and Jim, one worked for the railroad, one worked for, uh, uh, was a petroleum engineer for a big company. But I think that desire to be in a family business and business of their own that we all grew up with, and I think that was the primary reason of doing so. Entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, sir. Good. Uh, we're going to be back in about uh, two minutes. If you have a question for Mike, the number again, 646-595-4916. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This message is short and to the point. In business, you don't get paid for what you know, you get paid for what you sell. Yet many salespeople leave their skills to chance. They often think, let me think it over. They write proposals that go nowhere. They lower their price to get the order. They wind up chasing prospects through the voicemail maze. It doesn't have to be that way. The best salespeople were not born great. They learned it. I'm Mike Roth of Roth & Associates. We're famous for our expensive, difficult sales training. We're not for everyone. We build the best sales prospectors and sales negotiators on the planet. Are you in sales? Are you ready to get deadly serious about your career that feeds your family? 
Are you ready to make a change? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523. Sandler's most experienced trainer in Cincinnati, 646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm uh, I'm back with Mike Kegley from uh, The Bold Company. Uh, as he says, builders of lifelong dreams. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I just like that because that's got an emotional uh, twang to it. Well, thank it's, you. It's got a hook, and a lot of companies don't have that emotional hook. One of those things I think uh, make, make selling easier. So in an average year, Mike, how many homes do you guys build? Well, back uh, before the, the Great Recession, we like to call it, uh, we were building about 20 homes a year. Average price in the low 400,000s. This past year, we're coming off a year that's been improving over the early recession years, and we finished about 10 homes. The average price has dropped down as everybody's budget is a little bit tighter. So our average is probably in the 330 range, but we've built anything from uh, 200,000 up to well over a million, depending on the customer's needs. Now, are you selling the land, or they acquire, uh, or they already have the land? Uh, both ways. Uh, we do inventory lots in some established neighborhoods in northern Kentucky. We have also developed our own lots for sale, not only for our customers, but for other builders. And in addition to that, we do what we call a lot of off-site work. If you have your own property someplace out in the middle of nowhere, uh, we'll come out and take care of that. And when we build for you off-site, uh, the cost is basically the same as, as in one of our neighborhoods, or at least the cost of what we call the sticks and the bricks. You know, mm-hmm. building the actual house is going to be the same. But if you're out in a rural area, you might have an extra cost for like a septic system for sewage disposal, where in a neighborhood you'd have uh, sanitary sewer hookups. So there are those kind of site differences. But site differences, yeah, right, but right. The, but the sticks and the bricks are going to be the same, and that's always been an important part of our business. So. Uh, Probably 50% of our homes each year are off-site like that. 50%? Yes, sir. Mm. Uh, when, you, when you're working off-site, uh, what, what fuel do you use for heating the home? Well, primarily until recently, oh, well, let me back up a little bit. First of all, we're a 100% Energy Star builder, meaning since 2001, every single home we build has been Energy Star verified. So we're looking at not only how the home is built, types of doors, windows, and insulation, but that heating and cooling source as well. Now, a number of years ago, uh, the, the high-efficiency gas furnaces and high-efficiency electric air conditioners were the best route to go, the most mm-hmm. economical. Now, if you're out in a rural area, though, you don't have the natural gas pipe to your home like most of those city dwellers have. Mm-hmm. So then the question was always going propane versus all-electric. Right. Well, now in the last uh, five years, there's been a, a big increase in the number of geothermal or ground-coupled heat pumps, and those are also eligible for a 30% tax credit as well. So now we we go in, and you, know, I, you mentioned uh, I've got my master's in economics. That's where I go to work. said, okay, what's most efficient given current gas prices, future gas prices, current electric, and future electric? What's going to uh, pay back in, to the customer the quickest? And that's, is that going to be propane, which is less expensive to install but much more expensive to operate? Or is that going to be a ground-coupled geothermal heat pump, 
which is all electric, going to be quite a bit more expensive to install, but considerably less expensive to operate. So it all, I feel like my job as a, as a custom builder and designer is to give our customer all those options, let them make the decision in which one makes most sense to them. What percentage of the buyers in the last couple of years have been opting for geothermal? Of our off-site work, probably about 35%. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really the part part of the issue is that payback. I don't know if you recall from your high school days the old law of diminishing returns. Right. You know, we're already building a very tight, well-insulated home with the best windows and the best doors. So now the amount of energy savings by upgrading the heating and air conditioning equipment is very is not as great as it might be if we built a real drafty home, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to. Without the tax credit, I don't think on a well-built home you could really justify the geothermal. Uh, but on with the tax credit, giving you an, an immediate one-third discount on the purchase price, then it kind of becomes a break-even. You know, it's 12 to 15-year uh, equipment life, mm-hmm. and if it's going to take 10 to 12 to 13 years to pay off, you know, you're right on that border there. It's kind of almost insane. What is? You know, we we actually uh, replaced our. Uh, heating and air conditioning in a 20-year-old home uh, about two years ago. And when we looked at geothermal, because that's what we wanted to do, uh, every time we attempted to get a really firm cost on what it was going to be required, the cost of that system kept going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Where they were going to drill the wells, uh, we were on a hillside, so there was a problem. And then... Uh, the the vendor that we selected made a mistake by not taking a look at the electrical panel. So we needed 200 amp service, and the house only had 150 amp service, Mm -hmm. which meant ripping up the whole front yard to go to the electrical power transformers to get more power, drilling through the walls, and that's about what killed it. We, We do renovation work as well, and when someone comes in, they're having problems with their electric uh, and, and gas bills. I think the, there's a lot of less expensive things to look at first before replacing a heating unit. Now, if it's getting up there 20 years old, it's time to replace anyway, but perhaps uh, better windows, better insulation. Uh, you know, as, as well insulated, you know, the first time we built 27 years ago, I felt like it was the best house available at the time. Mm-hmm. And I drive by that house every day going home because I oh, live really? in that same neighborhood. So then looking at the changes and the progress progress we've made in 27 years, it's kind of unbelievable how much better and how much more energy efficient homes are today than they were just 27 years ago. Let's talk about windows for a second mm-hmm. since you brought them up. Uh, a lot of people say uh, putting in new windows is a terribly efficient thing to do. Uh, lots of times they're not believable because they're window manufacturers or window replacement people. What are the differences in, in windows today as opposed to windows 20 years ago? Well, first of all, all windows now are required to have the uh, high-efficiency, low-E glass, and that's part of the national energy policy. Some people don't know what low-E means, Mike. That's a, sorry, that's a that's a coating on the, well, first of all, all your new windows are double-pane, meaning there's two layers of glass there. Right. And then the low-E coating is on the inside of one of those um layers between and what it does is reflect out some of the uv rays from the sun out but also holds in the 
heat conducting uh, waves inside the house as well. So typically that raises the insulation value of the window. It's very, back when it was an option and we've been using it for 20 some years, it was a very inexpensive way to almost double the R value or insulation value of the window. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing you do is have to have to look at the glass and what kind of, and then the second thing is what's kind of warranty comes on the glass and the frame and sashes and, and all. And then particularly in the case of replacement, the third and most important is how they're installed. Make sure they're installed properly so there's no air leakage around the windows as well. Now quite often what I what I suggest to do on a on again on a renovation work is do a whole house audit. Where the in a, there's several um, groups in in since northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area that will do these very inexpensively, and where they'll uh, actually do what's called a blower door test on the house. You know, you close up all the windows and doors, put a big fan in the door, and you can pull a slight vacuum on the house. You can actually measure the air leaks, and then secondly, you can go around the house and find out where those drafts are coming in. Quite often, uh, someone that have, maybe thinks they have problem windows just needs a little bit of service on those windows or some extra insulation behind the the frames and around the sashes and that sort of thing and can take care of that problem. Also, they'll look at the insulation you have in the attic, which is a real easy place to add insulation. Yeah, we did that part. Uh, So what they do is they put a big fan in the front door, cause a vacuum in the house and see where the, the air is coming in from the outside? Correct. That's absolutely right. Okay. Uh, how do they do that? By smoke or something? Well, you, when you're looking for drafts, you use the smoke. But as far as the fan itself, it'll, the the operator will have to calculate the volume of air in the house, and then they can count with the fan going. They've got gauges that can tell how much air is leaving the house through the fan, and they can mm-hmm. actually calculate the number of air exchanges in that house per hour. And then if it's uh, higher and unacceptable level, then you go around and look for these leaks. And in an old home, a lot of times it'll come in like under the baseboard or when they when they uh, built the home and put the wall on top of the subfloor, there was no caulk or gasket or anything there. Uh, second place, of course, is round doors and windows. Uh, your heating ducts, uh, supply lines and return air ducts may have uh, leakage in them to the outside, particularly if they run up through an attic area or something as well. So mm. there's a lot of things for... For about $150 where you can find out where your problem is. And then, perhaps, if you need the windows, then you look for a a good installer with a good track record, has references. And I always like to check and tell everybody check the Better Business Bureau as well and see what kind of rating there. And keep in mind, nobody has 100% happy customers. It's how you take care of those problem customers that really make the difference in the company. So if you were going to get new windows for your house, what brand would you get? I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't feel <laughs> comfortable answering that question. Well, we have a couple of suppliers we've used a, long, a lot of years. We do a lot of stained woodwork, natural finish doors, solid wood doors. In that case, our primary window is a pillow window, which is a wood window, but they're aluminum covered outside, so there's no maintenance or upkeep. Oh, that's pretty uh, good. When the, when somebody's looking for a painted woodwork and painted trim, then we'll go with a high-quality vinyl window, I prefer a true double hung where the top and the bottom sashes both go up and down. Quite often, a lot of the production builders just use the single hung where only the bottom sash goes up and down and the top one's fixed all the time. Mm. Uh, but again, you look at R values, U values, 
there's just, you know, a world of information on the Internet that can help uh, people make a good choice. Good. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell the folks how they can get a hold of you after the show if they have questions? Yeah, call us anytime at 859-657-6700. And you can also email me at Mike, M-I-K-E, at theboldcompany.com. That's T H E. B-O-L-D-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. We've got a good website there at theboldcompany.com as well. A lot of information, contact information, contact page on that website as well. Good. Uh, Again, if you have a question for uh, Mike, you can call in on 646-595-4916. And uh, we're going to listen to a short conversation I had uh, a couple of weeks ago with... uh, Fellow named Tom Manning, who is putting on a a program uh, for sales and marketing executives. Uh, I believe it's starting in April, and it's going to be uh, first version of the program will be held up in Columbus. It's three uh, three day program, one day a month for three months. Let's listen to uh, Tom. This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking about your marketing and sales boot camp that you're going to be running in April and May. And the name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013. And you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. It's going to be Tuesday mornings for six weeks in Columbus and Wednesday mornings for six weeks in Cincinnati. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program? Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story. Figure out what their key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company's story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? It really does, because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you We're had, talking about user or prospect here. Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers, mm-hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and the other businesses, and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And why should someone attend? So what we'll do is we're going to, over the course of six weeks, we're going to help you um, define your your key messages and your company's story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate all of that. So people will be consistent at the end. Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your brochure, your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show. And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally, how should they do that? There's two ways. One, you could go to marketleaders.us. Um, that's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and, and uh, registration. 
or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there, and you can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engaged Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Mike Kegley from Bold Homes. Uh, Mike, we have a theory of operation here in business that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you have a complex problem and you want to solve it, you need a complex solution. Perhaps you could uh, share with our listeners a complex problem that you had in the past and the equally complex solution that you applied to it to get a solution that might be applicable to another industry. Well, I think uh, with us, Nearly every home we build in some way is kind of a complex solution because while it's really easy to come up with a nice floor plan, then you have to figure out how to hold up the second floor or how to hold up the first floor. Now, my partners are engineers, and we do all of that work in-house. But there was an occasion here recently where we built a home that was overlooking the Ohio River on the edge of a, of a hill, very steep hill. And we had a special foundation designed just for this house to given the soil conditions that were on that site. But once we started digging and excavating the site, we discovered that sometime in the past, probably at least 80 years ago, that hillside had slipped towards the river. Now, it wasn't noticeable from the surface because the trees were all good size and had grown there, but we were concerned then perhaps that if it slipped once, could it slip again? And we sure didn't want somebody's uh, ground home to turn into a uh, a home, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a floating home. Floating or... home, yeah. Uh, so what we did is, first of all, you know, we've got good sharp people on the job. They recognize the problem. The second thing then is we had to get soil engineers involved to come out and uh, check out the site, drill down the solid rock, and see what kind of soil there was. And not only did we have to modify the foundation we were planning for the house, but we also didn't want the backyard to end up in the in the kitchen too. So we had to design a special retaining wall back there as well that go, went down the solid rock to hold that soil back and keep it from moving. So I think the biggest thing with problem solving, first of all, is recognizing the problem, and second of all, recognizing when you need some additional outside help to maybe solve the problem or give some additional input on how to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you brought in outside enge- engineers. Yes, sir. How, how deep did you have to, just out of curiosity, dig that retaining wall? Well, we had to go down through the soil about six feet, and then they had to be into the solid rock by about three feet. And these were every six foot apart, and then you had to put round pilings between them. They didn't have to be structured in the rock because the, the, every third one that was in the rock held that back. And unfortunately for our customer, it was an additional expense that uh, they weren't planning on, uh, but uh, that's been about uh, five, six years ago, and the house is still on the hill. It's not floating down the river, so it was uh, a, a good answer to a tough problem. Yeah, I, uh, I used to live in California uh, 22 years ago, about 15 years out there, and drilling retaining walls with mm-hmm. 15 feet deep. Well, and there you've got the extra thing with the earthquakes, you know, that we don't have to deal with here. So uh, it was interesting. Uh, 
kind of a side story. About a dozen years ago, we were building for a young couple that moved here from Orange County, uh, California. And when we're constructing a home for you, before the drywall goes up, but after the plumbing, electric, and everything's in, we like to have what's called a rough-in walkthrough and show you all those things that are about to be covered up, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, this young lady said, well, be, said her father was going to be in town, would be RNV, uh, participate in our walkthrough. And I said, well, that's fine. He said, she said, well, let me warn you. He said, he's a building inspector in California. So, so actually it turned out to be a really, really nice uh, uh, visit. It, you know, the, the, the walkthrough took a little longer than normal, but I was telling him how we did things here, and he was telling us why they did it differently in California and proved to be very educational for both of us. Yeah, and they probably tie the house down with steel straps. We do that. Foundation. Well, we do that anyway. So I was out in Florida well, uh, in the villages last week. And they make them tie the roof to the, uh, the walls with steel straps mm-hmm. about every six feet. And then if you don't have that, uh, your insurance company bips you on hurricane insurance because they don't want the roof to fly away with the heavy winds. Well, we use those hurricane uh, clips on every single truss where it fastens to the wall. So you've got every two feet, you've got those holding the roof down. Yeah, it's a good idea. I never saw that until I was down there uh, at the villages. Well, there's a lot of things you don't see about building a house. That's why you have to have a experienced and trustworthy builder to do your work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we learned that the hard way. Uh, in your company, uh, what do you see as the opportunities and possibilities in the marketplace? I think the challenge right now is what is the new marketplace going to be? It's not business as usual as it was in the you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. I think the, the demographics of our customers are changing. They're getting younger. Uh, they're also more uh, in tune to our natural resources, and some, some very well want energy savings just for the sake of, of being a responsible citizen of this of this world that we have here. So you haven't been asked to put in uh, solar panels or a windmill yet? Uh, no windmills, but solar panels. We actually have a program for adding solar panels, and there is a tax credit for that as well, 30% just like the geothermal, mm-hmm. and 30% on the uh, on the windmills as well. Uh, we're not in a in a um, wind area here that makes that pay off, but the solar panels, again with the tax credit, don't look really really bad. Uh, we have some um, have some friends that build for the south. It's a no brainer down there when you've got where you've got more hours of sunlight and more days of sunlight. We're in that marginal area here in the greater Cincinnati area. Yeah, you need uh, no trees on your lot to provide shade to the sun panels. No trees. You need a southern exposure. And then a lot of our neighborhoods don't allow those on the roof either. Right now they've got restrictions. Back from, if you remember, the was early 80s where people doing hot water heat panels up there. And they right, were, right, right. They were ugly and they weren't maintained and they looked bad. Uh, the new solar panels now are much thinner, much more streamline look a little better and I, I think those will have to be addressed in some of the newer neighborhoods when they do their restrictions. Mm-hmm. No, even the old ones didn't bother me at all. I thought they looked okay. I'm one of the guys who put on uh, solar heating on a pool in, in, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good idea. Oh yeah. Yeah, we turned off our uh, hot water heater and got, got the pool to uh, 93 degrees in the middle of the winter. Mm-hmm. And of course that was L.A. 
Do you have a strong, uh, strategic, long-term uh, planning process there at Bold? Well, you know, again, the Great Recession kind of, we had to throw away the plan and re- redesign, which obviously a strategic plan needs to be flexible anyway. So um, right now we're, we're kind of out of the survival mode. You know, for a few years we're just trying to do anything we could, whether it be renovation, commercial work. Uh, I used to tease uh, folks that came in our model home if they drop off their laundry on Wednesday, I'd have it ready on Friday. Uh, since then, though, the market's recovered a little bit. Uh, people are going to be staying in their homes longer, so I, I think renovation is going to become a bigger part of our business as well. Uh, and the new construction is just kind of uh, finding out uh, what people want and trying to meet that need. Okay. Um, do you have a, a long-term strategic planning meeting uh, for your members of the management team uh, once a year, once every six months? How does that work? We meet as a form as a as a formal ownership group once a year, but we have weekly ownership meetings. All, all of our owners are involved in the business every day. We've all got our own responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So once a week, we get together for a couple of hours, uh, usually on a on a Friday morning, and just see what the problems of the day are, what we foresee the problems of the next day are, and uh, try to uh, streamline our operations a little bit better. I give them updates on the potential jobs that we have coming up, and they let me know when we're going to be finishing a few jobs so we can schedule closings and and turn over the home to the to the new owners. Are there any um, specific things that the new owners are asking for you that are surprising you? Well, I think the biggest thing I've seen is the generation change. Uh, obviously, my my son's a younger generation. And he meets with most of the of the younger customers. Uh, I'm kind of an old codger, and I meet with all the empty nesters. <laughs> but uh, the the younger folks want a lot, of, you know, prefer painted woodwork and and a little brighter home. Um, whereas the empty nesters like a lot of stained woodwork, solid wood doors. Um, empty nesters like a smaller home, but still with all the amenities. Again, a young uh, family though they're wanting square footage, all they can get, but still something well built so they can raise their family. And then they'll look to getting the fancier, nicer things down the road or uh, when the children are through college and out of the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference between empty nesters and uh, younger families. Oh, absolutely. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Which, um, percent, which group is buying more homes, in your opinion? Oh, boy, that's a that's a good question. Uh, right now, I don't know that I've seen any big numbers on that because... Younger folks are being held back because of the increase in credit requirements and credit scores and credit history. You know, about five years ago, you could borrow money and didn't even have to prove you could pay it back. Mm-hmm. Well, the rules change now. They really want you to pay it back, and you need a down payment. So for our our group of customers, are still the empty nesters coming in, but they've got to have somebody buying their existing home, and if they've only been in four or five years, they're getting – uh, a lower price for it than what they paid, and that's hard to walk away from. If they've been there longer than five or six years, then they have some equity in the home, and they can roll that over into the new home. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share with us how you go to market? How do people find bold homes? Well, first of all, the uh, National Sales and Marketing Association, which is our marketing group for home builders and realtors around the country, they tell me that 85% of the people have seen my website before they've contacted me or come into our model home. 
Now, we do work out of a model home, and we're trying to locate this model in a neighborhood where there is uh, traffic for people maybe looking for new homes. So my primary objective is to get folks to find us on the Internet Mm -hmm. and then come and visit our product at our model home. As I mentioned before, we're not plan sellers. You don't go to our website and try to and say, well, I like this plan or that plan. What we're offering is a process of building you exactly what you want, quality built home, energy efficient. And so to really explain our process, I need them to come in my model home and we demonstrate our house. Not so much here's the bedroom, here's the kitchen, here's the living room, but this is how this is built, this is how that is built. These are the options you have to, to design one story, two story. We've done concrete houses. We've done underground houses. Um, a lot of different things we've done over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll talk some more with uh, with Mike. We we'll come back from this uh, commercial break. If you have a question, the number is six four six five nine five four nine one six. Let's listen to uh, San Rule number forty two. Hi, my name's Kevin Hollenbeck from Sandler Training. I'm here to talk about rule number 42. A winner has alternatives. A loser puts all his eggs in one basket. Many times, salespeople plan and script their pre-call routine. They have a big meeting and they say, you know what, let's work on what's going to happen at this meeting. And they, they even sometimes role play, script out when the prospect says this, I'm going to say that when they do this, and they get all ready. They memorize the script. They practice it, rehearse it the night before. Then they show up at the client meeting, and the client throws them a curveball. They didn't, the, the client didn't know they were supposed to follow the script. The challenge is, is if you don't have alternatives, you end up stuck. It's like having you're, you're, you're a deer in the headlights looking at, at the light saying, oh, no, what next? A winner has alternatives. They're ready to... to, to deal with variables, they're asking tough questions, they're really listening, and they're staying in the moment, not locked in the past in some sort of a scripted environment. Remember, rule number 42, a winner has alternatives. This is Mike Roth and Mike uh, Kegley. We're back. And Mike, so you're using the Internet to have people find you who want to build a custom home. Yes, sir. And uh, you're thinking about using search engine optimization, not actually doing it. We've been doing some SEO myself, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a um, pretty tough thing to do. I mean, that's almost a full-time job, particularly if you don't know what you're doing, you know, researching this and researching that. And then as soon as you think you get it figured out, Google changes the rules or Bing changes the rules. And, you're starting all over again. So we're actually in the process of uh, interviewing some people to help with the SEO work um, and try to uh, increase our rankings in our website. But uh, I, we, we do uh, use Google Analytics. I know how many people have been on our website. And then when people do visit our model home, we try to find out where they heard from us as well. And it mm-hmm. helps us track that too. So it helps us figure out that important return on investment. You got to know about ROI. Yeah. Uh, changing subjects with you. Uh, perhaps you can give uh, our listeners, uh, other CEOs who are listening, 
a leadership tip? I think the first thing is to know your business and know everybody else's job. Now, imagine if I was the CEO of Procter & Gamble, I wouldn't be able to know everybody's job at all. But at our place, I like to know what everybody's doing, what all of our subcontractors are doing, and even help participate in their jobs from time to time as well, which helps you better understand their problems and their issues as well. And the other thing is to show enthusiasm and pride in their finished product, and that will kind of they'll pick up on that as well and do their best job. Uh, we do use we have permanent employees, but we do use some subcontractors, and we do use permanent subcontractors, same people all the time, but they're not working for us full time. They may be plumber may be working for us this week, another builder next week. And the important thing is is when that plumber or whomever comes back to our job. They know what our expectations are and what our customers' expectations are, and we actually have everybody kind of sign a contract saying, "Hey, I'm doing, I'm your plumber. This is me here, and I'm doing my best job for you." And we give that to the customers so they know that everybody did their best work on their on their home. But anyway, I think by showing interest in their jobs, uh, you show leadership in the company among the employees and any subcontractors that you, that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you thinking uh, about adding any salespeople to your staff this year? No, and the reason really is is, is our customers, the type of product we sell, they like to talk to the owners of the company. Mm-hmm. So my son or I are the ones that sell every single house that we have. Now, we do, though, participate with realtors, and they will bring us potential uh, customers from time to time. And we agree to give them a commission on the sale of the house. And so it's important that they understand our product and what we're able to do so that they will bring leads to us. But it's our responsibility to turn those leads into customers. So at this point, I have had uh, uh, employees that kind of sat in the model home for me and uh, would make appointments and that sort of thing for me when people come in. But currently, our office is actually in the model home. So mm-hmm. I'm there all day uh, behind my desk and Somebody comes in, I run to the door. And so where is the model home if someone wants to drive out this weekend to see you? I'm over in Triple Crown in, uh, in the Union area. It's 988 Aristides. That's A-R-I-S-T-I-D-E-S Drive, and it's in Union, Kentucky. Triple Crown, if you're not from uh, Northern Kentucky, is a big neighborhood. has anywhere from $250,000 homes to $5 million homes, and we're an approved builder in all those sections and um, our model home is open on saturdays well we're actually uh daily including saturdays and saturdays and sundays from 12 to 6 of course uh just like most self-employed people i pretty well pretty well work 24 7 so <laughs> if you need to be there earlier or later i'm happy to meet you there too because i love to talk about building houses hey that's that's a good thing that's a good thing in your opinion we're buying more houses, the uh, young families or the empty nesters? I think right now the empty nesters are because they're the ones that have the credit and the cash built up. With the uh, with the recession came uh, uh, tightening down of the credit requirements and uh, so that our young folks have to have a good credit score and a down payment. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, they didn't care if you could pay off the loan or not. They gave it to you. Now it's changed. Yeah, state of income. I'm yeah. making 350000 Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. I know some people who bought houses that way. I know some people that aren't living in them anymore, too. <laughs> Hopefully none of the houses you built. 
Do you guys have a, an exit plan uh, developed at your company? I, I think I uh, mean, you, you're probably going to work till you're 90. Probably will. I, I hope I can, unless my son changes the uh, locks on the door. Uh, I feel like that's probably one reason that my wife and her two brothers discussed bringing our, my son into the business. Is here's somebody that uh, can take it over and, and buy him out or or pay him the residuals or whatever else sometime down the road. But um, I'm the oldest right now at 57, and uh, they're 56 to 55, and my son's 30. So I think all of us uh, plan on that are in the late 50s plan on working another you know, five or ten years. Uh, I know we've all tried to rat hole away some money for retirement, but like most people, we didn't start till we were way too old, you know, so it's hard to uh, hard to keep up. So I've instilled in, in both of my children start young, and they all opened up Roth IRAs when they were 16. So they're, they're going to be a whole, a whole lot better uh, set up for retirement and later in life than, than my wife and I have been. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you guys have... Uh... Uh, buy sell agreement and uh, life insurance. We do. Yeah. Company. Yeah, we have uh, we have a uh, life insurance on all the all the major owners. It's uh, funded by life insurance as well, and so that if somebody uh, buy sell is yeah funded by life. Yeah, insurance. I'm sorry. Yeah, the buy sell is funded by the life insurance, and so if something happens, um, uh, the 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 deceased person's family's taken care of, but they're out of the business, and we can go on as normal then. Oh, that's good. That's good. We had a an unfortunate incident a few years ago with one of our client companies. Uh, they were running about $12 million a year. Uh, two older gentlemen each had 49%. Uh, I'm sorry, two younger gentlemen. The two, the two sons of the two older fellows had 1% of the company each, and the two older guys had one uh, percent, uh, but they were the only two voting stocks. Mm-hmm. And one of the two fellows died, and it was they only had insurance on the younger guys. Well, that's, that's a bad move. <laughs> the younger guys were cheaper, though. I'm sure. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it, it caused a, a, a really tough year. Uh, for the company, one of the two younger guys decided to get out, and today the twelve million dollar year company does less than five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're first starting a company and just trying to figure out how to make payroll next week, those things are hard to think about. But they need to be on everybody's short list, and uh, and because when you need it, it's too late. You can't go back. You know, so you're exactly right. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, it's one thing to get insurance. On a sixty-year-old, on a seventy-year-old, it's harder mm-hmm. and uh, and more expensive, but sometimes uh, well worth it. Uh, let me throw one other uh, business development question at you. You know, Mike, in a short period of time that we have left, uh, if I wave the magic wand over your head and solve the biggest business development sales issue that you had, that problem would go away. What problem would I cure for you? At Bold Homes. Oh golly, that's that would uh, probably um, as much as I like to work and prospect and follow up and that sort of thing. I, I could use another twelve hours a day to do that, or learn how to uh, delegate a few more things as well. But you know, when you're uh, when you're in your own business and you've been there from the beginning and you've brought it up through infancy and into into development, it's hard to give up uh, some of those things that you might 
to be better off uh, giving up and and uh, to somebody that might even be able to do them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there were there were definitely control issues. Efficiency there was no way to get you an extra twelve hours a day uh, with the sandless system. We might be able to figure out how to make you much more efficient, so you only work on the prospects that are actually going to close, and you can close the files on the ones that that aren't. Uh, we're just about getting low on time. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, Sandler's first public book. Uh, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Thank you. Uh, and inside the book is our training calendar and a free training pass for you to come to uh, any one of any one of our classes over the uh, the next couple of months. And we always include a million dollars that we help people make. Well, a million dollars is nice. Well, a lot of people tell me that. Uh, but we, we I made those up. When one of our clients came back from a trade show and said, "Mike, I uh, I see you make a million dollar bills," and at the time I wasn't. I, he, and, he, and, he, and I said, "I'm not." He says, "Oh yeah." He shows me this million dollar bill with the uh, the name Mike Roth on it. There's a copyright and a phone number. I called the phone number. It was some guy in prepaid legal in <laughs> Arizona, and I decided to. Uh, to steal the idea and created our own million dollar bill and made that real for a lot of people. That's cute, but I don't know if the Treasury Department would like that or not. They laughed at it. They got 15 of the samples. I have some friends <laughs> who work over there. Uh, thanks again for uh, for sharing the time with us and the ideas. And again, Mike, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Give them the, your phone number. That's 859-657-6700 or mike at theboldcompany.com. Look forward to seeing you in our model home soon. Good. Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.